Welcome to the Relevance Report, where we sit down with global industry leaders who are driving impact and shaping the future. Today, we're sitting down with Rod Taylor. He's the executive director at NEOM, one of the world's largest development projects. It's $500 billion worth of development where they're really looking at sustainability and innovations in technology that are going to build the city of the future. If you wanna learn more about what's happening new and next, talk to Rod, we're so happy to have him here today. Welcome to the show, Rod. We're so happy to have you on the Relevance Report. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's uh, been fascinating watching some of your podcasts. Oh, thank you. And you're joining us today from Saudi, right? Looks beautiful. I am, yes. Uh, well, it's about 115 degrees. Uh, uh, summer's share in a big way. And um, yeah, it's my supposed to be my weekend, a Friday, but um, Saudi is, is busy at the moment. It looks absolutely stunning. Can you tell us, uh, you know, here we're in New York and, and a lot of our listeners are all over. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like, life in Saudi? Because I know you're, you're originally not from there, but uh, you've, you've since moved and, and we'd just love to hear a little bit about it. Sure. Um, I'm not from Saudi originally. I'm originally from South Africa um, and have spent the last 25, 26 years um, working globally. I've done 10 years previously in the Middle East. I've done uh, 15 years in the U uh, UK, a little bit in the US as well. So uh, a bit of a global traveler uh, and global citizen, actually. Wonderful. That's how I feel, too. Uh, I, I don't think of myself as belonging to one place. We're like nomads, right? And especially when you're thinking about global real estate, it's, uh, it's definitely a small world. We all kind of know one another or, or we're one degree of separation from one another. So I understand. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's, it's amazing how many people I know from different areas and, and Americans that I've met in Oman are now living in Saudi and working and Brits that I've met in Dubai are now working back in London. So it's, it's, a, small, it's a small family, actually, if you think about it globally. It really is. Well, tell me what you're doing in Saudi now. What brought you to Saudi? Uh, well, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East and the one place I've never actually lived and worked, although I've done business, is Saudi Arabia. And um, Saudi's, the, the, the current ruler at the Crown Prince is looking to change the perception of Saudi Arabia from a global point, from an economic driver point. And he has come up with a vision of a new city called Neom. And Neom is this amazing city that he's creating and we're busy working on and launched about three years ago, uh, which is the, the city of the future. And if you take cities around the world, they start fairly small and then they grow out. And what we're trying to do is to take the hindrances of modern cities and change it. The way the road networks are laid out, communication, transportation, uh, right through to energy, food, water, real estate, technology. It's all being changed so that Saudi as a nation can build into this global superpower of technology and further advancements across all sectors. Well, so are you really in the infrastructure stage or are you, uh, you know, what, what phase is it in now? You said it's been being worked on for three years and I, I assume this is a very long term project. I think I read it's 10 years or something like that. 
10 year long 10 year long projects we're trying to get everything done by the vision 2030 strategy okay. uh, uh, there's a lot of infrastructure work carrying out at the moment um, there will be major construction starting later this year on various regions and sectors within Saudi uh, within the project itself um, Neon Bay Airport is being created, which will eventually become an international hub for uh, travel and airlift. And I think probably some of the bigger components, NIC, which is the Neon Industrial City, will be launched later this year. Um, and that will then become a huge hub for innovation, technology, transportation, shipping, you name it. So I've also been I've also been reading about the project and and hearing that it's being considered a city of the future as you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about the features that are going to make it such? You know, uh, I've read about some sustainability and um, can you can you just elaborate on that a bit? Sure. I, th I think one of the key things that has, that's brought me to this project is, and I've been fortunate to look at projects like this once or twice in my career to date. You have got some of the brightest and sharpest minds in the world coming onto this project. So from a sustainability, from a water, from food, technology, um, Francis has collected these absolute industry leaders to come in to create something that is, is in small parts around the world there, but not as a whole. So our sustainability model, our environmental model that we're looking at, the way tech is designed, all of this the stuff, even down to the real estate and our shopping experiences, mm. will all change. And what he's looking to do is drive the technology side of the world and bring it to Neon, which is not the next generation. It will be next, next, next generation for not just Saudi nationals, but for the world. And you'll have special enterprise zones. And I, I know you're trying to pull in some businesses and, and entrepreneurs who want to also be a part of this future think, right? And, and everything that I've oh, yes. read really is, is trying to get the leading minds to come here to have an office to, you know, really make this a global hub for all of the innovators, correct? Oh, absolutely. And it's not just an office, it's bringing entire manufacturing disciplines and mm. construction methodologies into the city so that people can actually get a taste of what we're trying to create today for tomorrow. But it's it's not all work, it's a lot of fun too. You've got entertainment venues planned and um, sports facilities and some tourism destination hotspots that you're creating as well, correct? Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, as I said, I've, I've come to Saudi generally in the past to work. I've never lived here. And living here is an amazing experience. People have a perception of what Saudi Arabia is. Um, and I, I, you come here and, as I said, you've got a completely integrated society. You work with Saudi nationals from people from around the world um, in an environment that is spectacularly beautiful. One of the places is the Gulf of Aqaba, which is a 120-kilometer coastline running along the Red Sea. Um, from all the way from north of Huckle, which is close to the Jordanian border, border all the way down south. Um, and the sea is spectacular. The mountain ranges, the pink desert is, mm. is, is just breathtaking. So we come here, some of the 
uh, venues that we're going to create sports and, and entertainment will be featured across NEOM in these various locations as well, which I think is absolutely beautiful. Our head of sport is looking to create uh, events here that will become Olympic um, in its nature. SADI has just signed an agreement with the Olympic Federation, SADI Olympic Federation, and that's going to create um, a much a vibrant drive for the athletes to come and perform and train and experience what Neon was going to offer them. That's so exciting. It's so exciting. You're just doing great things. I mean, really. And it must be so fun to flex your imagination and get to create this future city. I mean, it really is like a, like a, like a kid's dream, right? Like you, you, you couldn't even dream up a job this fun because you really are getting the best of everything that you're pulling together in one hub. And, and I'm sure everybody around you is uh, one, everybody's smarter than the next, right? It sounds like you've really got the best of the best pulled together. And, um, you know, I, I think that's so great because you're probably learning at rapid pace from one another. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings. <laughs> I have to say that's for me and having done this for a long time, sitting in meetings with some of these guys and the architects and the infrastructure team you learn you just absorb uh, like a sponge and for me that's a, a crucial thing in my work if i'm not learning i'm stagnating and if i'm stagnating that i'm not at the top of my game mm -hmm. and therefore you're sitting in these meetings and you have long days and long nights but it's not boring we're working with the best architects in the world creating these futuristic buildings um, so that the generations, and we're not, again, not talking about the next generation, it's the next three or four generations that will benefit from the work we're doing today. That's going to be so rewarding. Oh. So I know you have a background in luxury real estate. You were previously at Savills, correct? And you were, um, you know, really working on new development globally, right? Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. I've worked for Savills over the past 16 years on and off um, at a fantastic company and looking after the international projects that we had um, was just a, a again another dream job can you tell us a little bit about how luxury is evolving because you're still in because you're still in luxury real estate but i'm curious how you feel it's changing because i mean at least here we're, we're seeing that it's shifting quite a bit and i'd like to know what you think from from your expertise uh, it's certainly shifting. And I think if the COVID pandemic showed us, um, it's, it's created another shift in how people are looking at real estate and what they want to get out of it. Um, and we've seen, especially in London, uh, the London market is busy, but nothing compared to what the country market, those counties surrounding London, how busy they were through the COVID period, simply because people wanted to have the flexibility of living rurally, but within a commuter distance, as well as having outside space. Hugely important if you're stuck indoors and you've got a pandemic on your doorstep, the ability to step out into a garden, have a small patch that's just for you is huge. And we will see a change and a shift in the way developers are looking at creating outside space in their mm -hmm. developments. This is going to be big. Uh, you know, you look at the Dubai market, 
for a long time, nobody wanted balconies. Mm. And I guarantee you the next phase of real estate in the GCC will have balconies because people need to have that outside space. If they can't leave their apartments for whatever reason, outside space is vital. Um, High-speed internet, small things will change because if you are not going into your office every day, as I'm sure you guys uh, were in the same boat as us in London, these Zoom calls and team call meetings are so frustrating because you were either on mute or you couldn't hear or it was breaking up. So high-speed internet connectivity is another thing. When it comes to the real luxury elements, I think people are going to have a shift in what they require for their creature comforts. Um, And I think, again, we're seeing a completely different way of people living in terms of the tech side of things and the amenities that they're looking for. Absolutely. It seems like there's also a a big movement towards, um, you know, being close to nature as well. Uh, And people are infusing nature into cities. It's interesting. You know, you're seeing these living walls and uh, you know, a lot of renderings that I've seen in futuristic cities have, you know, green spilling off of the balconies. And so it's interesting to see how the inside and outside world are just melding more and more. And I think that they've done studies to, to figure out that it makes people happier, more productive and feel more connected. So um, I, I just, I agree. I think we're going to see much, much more of that. And sustainability is absolutely one of the biggest trends that everyone is concerned with right now. I know that you're working on a lot of projects that are championing that, but not only sustainability, but you're also um, really being conscious of how you're disrupting the environment. I think I saw something on one of the social channels um, where Neom was mentioning that they're, you know, championing, saving, and preserving the the sea turtles. You know, and so there's this consciousness that's really building in terms of how we live what we're doing as we're building and how we're going to, you know, really take more thought and and consideration as we're making these choices to build homes and live in homes. Absolutely. I think one of the key things I would, I would step away from the word trend. It's not a trend. It it has to happen. It's a must. Mm. Uh, This is not a fad that's going to disappear overnight. It's, it's, it's a must because if we don't, we're not going to be around on the planet much longer. And, and I'm a firm believer of that. Neom, if you take it as 100%, we are leaving 95% to nature. We're only building on 5% of the land mass of Neom. And within that, we have national parks that are going to be created. The sustainability and the building methodology that we're looking is paramount. And we have to run everything past our environmental team to make sure that we aren't disturbing nature. And saving the turtles is, is one tiny speck of what they are looking to do. Mm-hmm. You can't build anything where we might have uh, bad water flowing into the ocean simply because we want to build a golf course. The golf course has to be built in such a way that there's no nitrates being flooded into the ocean because it'll change the ecosystem of of the surrounding water so all of this has to take into effect and it's time consuming and it's expensive and the crown prince has basically said this is how he wants it to go we must find solutions to create we want a golf course great but the golf course has to make sure that it is environmentally sound because if it doesn't we can't have it 
Mark, I think so. that is a fantastic way to approach the next generation of living in the city. Right, you're setting the bar first on quality and standards, and then he's challenging everyone to meet it. Like it's it's almost the reverse of the way a lot of things seem to get done uh, in the in the other way, you know. And so it's it's very interesting. Um, well, I'm very excited to watch this project evolve, and and all of the you know, Gulf of Aqaba, all of the different uh, places that you're developing. It sounds like there's just so much good stuff coming in this part of the world. So it's going to be transformational and I'm excited. Absolutely. Uh, so how about other trends? I know, you know, trends sometimes can be passing, but some, some are more long living. Um, but what are some other things that you're seeing emerge here um, that you really love and what are some that you maybe could live without? Do you, are you spotting some things that you're kind of excited about recently? Um, we're doing a very big push on um, e-cars and electronic uh, cars which are green basically so that the infrastructure here is going to be built so the charging stations um, are easily accessible. The research and development that's going into the mobility and it's not just cars it's sea mobility it's air mobility it's it's the movement of people and how we can how we can get that to be optimized i think is very very good um for me the things that i could happily do with that are, are these things um <laughs> They are they are a lifeline at the same time they're a bane of my life because um, um, like most people I have two of them and they're always going so it is it is very difficult to switch off um, and the only time I actually do get to switch off is when I'm under the water diving so that's my that's my happy quiet place. Oh nice that sounds. Until somebody amazing. finds a way of being able to communicate with me underwater then I'm then I'm being got. You're in trouble. Well, it is really important to have some way of finding balance. I mean, we all need it, especially because we're so bombarded with access. And, and I agree that connectivity is really great, but at the same time, sometimes you don't want to be connected. You just want to unplug and, you know, breathe, breathe yes. a little bit. So I do think that's important. Um, you know, I know that there are probably a lot of listeners who look at you and think, wow, how incredible, how did this person achieve this level of success and also go from South Africa to, to where he is today, um, you know, in terms of his opportunities and sort of continuing to grow through your career. I'm sure that they have lots of questions and if we were live right now, they'd want to ask them. So I'm going to just sort of poke a little bit there and, and see, could you just tell us a little bit more detail about how you got your start? Uh... By sheer, by sheer accident, to be perfectly honest with you, um, I arrived in the UK and met somebody that was in real estate and he happened to be a, a senior person within Savills. Mm. And I was uh, coaching swimming, of all things, in London. And he said, well, you can't coach swimming for the rest of life. Why don't you come and have a look and see what I do? And, and I fell in love with real estate. And within the first couple of weeks, I did my first deal. And I was, was, was born, so to speak. Uh, I, I just got bitten. It's hard 
and and if i can give anybody some advice it's there are no shortcuts there are no easy ways to do this if you don't work hard and you don't perform and you don't become competitive you're not going to succeed um, i'm a very competitive person and i had to make sure that within the first year i was the best state agent in the office by the end of the second year i wanted to be the top billings guy within the in the in the city and, and and so that drive kept me going and when you drive yourself like that you learn quickly what the mistakes are and what not to do and i think having people that you work with um, that can help you minimize your mistakes is huge um, and having people that surround you that are equally driven um, and have fun at the same time so for me it's all about the learning element um, if you're selling an apartment or a house that's all good and well, but have you ever asked somebody where they have a holiday? Would they ever like to buy a house in Switzerland? That way you get to know your clients and all the really good brokers and agents will have their client list on that pesky phone that they can phone at any time and say, I've seen something, it's for you, you need to come and look at it. And clients, clients like that, you know. So for me, it is all about the ability to surround yourself, get into a position where you have people competing against you and with you that will drive you and learn, just learn everything you can. That is a, a great, a great tip. And um, I, I think that people tend to either have that inner fire in the belly, I call it, or not. And some people will say, well, I want to get it, but I'm not sure I have it. So I'm, I'm always looking for ways to help people really figure out what is going to motivate them. And some people are just naturally more in touch with that than others. And so um, you clearly just found the thing that lights you up, right? And so as a manager or as you know, anyone who owns a business, I think our job is to help our team find a way to tap into what lights them up, figure it out. Like it may not even be the whole job. It may be this one part of the job that is just so exciting to them and then focusing them and growing them in that direction. And so, um, and then there are some people like yourself who can pretty much do that for themselves. You can figure it out. You're, you're clearly keyed into, I know what's really going to make me get excited to get out of bed. And that competitive nature, I noticed you said you, you were a swim instructor. I'm going to guess you played sports when you were younger as well, right? Yeah. I right. mean, I try to get my, turn my hand to do absolutely everything. So swimming, whether it was scuba diving, rugby, squash, tennis, whatever the sport was, I always pushed myself very, very hard. Um, and I think that competitive nature comes through with regards to how I live my life and how I, I'm getting on in years now and I still push myself because I want to be better, faster, quicker than the young guys in the office uh, and to make sure that they have something to aspire to in, in, a, in a funny sort of way. Uh, because if you can't inspire people um, a generation below you, you failed. Right? And, and that is for me is a huge thing. You've got to be inspirational in what you do because people will follow you and look up to you. And uh, that's how I try and, try and work. I'm curious who inspired you when you were younger. Did, were there certain people who really 
you, you watched and you went, wow, that's super cool. I want to be like that person who, who, who gave you that feeling when you were younger? You know, it, it's, it's going to come down to sports people. Mm. Um, a phenomenal butterfly swimmer called Matt Biondi, who was an Olympic butterfly swimmer, best in the world, now teaches maths, I understand. Um, a phenomenal guy, and I can remember watching him and seeing his drive and his determination. And people that I worked with um, as a youngster in South Africa that were, again, in an, in an era where we were... Uh, confined because of apartheid and these people that broke the chains of that to go and compete internationally um, the drive that they had and the sacrifices that they made and I just found that to be very inspiring that is inspiring wow well you continue to inspire me Rod and I'm sure many many other people and so I really appreciate this time that you've spent chatting and you know I'm curious if you have any final thoughts for our listeners I just think there's a lot of opportunities out in the world uh, and the world's becoming smaller and smaller. Um, and for me, it's about getting out of your comfort zone. Um, I left South Africa with $400 in my pocket in 1991. Um, wow. Probably done all right over the years, but it's hard work. And, and therefore people that say, oh, I can't do this because I'm not good enough. You're only good enough you're only not good enough if you think you are uh, and that to me is something that I try and push and, and push my kids and everybody else around me they are good enough everybody's good enough what a great tip well my kids listen to our podcast so I'm going to make sure they listen to this one and listen to you <laughs> sometimes it's better coming from someone other than mom oh, it's always the way it's always <laughs> the way you can say it you blue in the face and somebody will walk in and say it and they go wow <laughs> so yes that's always going to be my kids are exactly the same well wonderful well thank you so much rod what a pleasure and i wish you all the best of luck and i can't wait to watch what you create fantastic well we'll keep you uh, updated on everything and hope to catch up with you soon thank you so much have a great rest of your day thanks a lot take care Talk soon.